Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. The Economist. In London, this is The Economist with Tasting Menu, a selection of the tastiest morsels from this week's coverage. I'm Kenneth Kukier, a senior editor, and on the menu this week, Canada's proposals for peacekeeping come under fire. Communist-era beers are back in fashion, and why staff at India's banks have been offloading their own money into people's bank accounts. But first, a giant problem was our cover line this week. A handful of corporate titans are consolidating at the very top and firmly entrenching their positions. Our cover leader this week argued that the rise of the corporate colossus threatens both competition and the legitimacy of business. Disruption may be the buzzword in boardrooms, but the most striking feature of business today is not the overturning of the established order. It is the entrenchment of a group of superstar companies at the heart of the global economy. While many of these are old giants morphing into modern iterations, it's the more recent arrivals that are securing their positions at the top. The elite of the elite are high-tech wizards, Google, Apple, Facebook and the rest, that have conjured up corporate empires from bits and bytes. These superstars shower consumers in tangible benefits, of course, but it comes at a considerable trade-off. They are squashing competition, and they are using the darker arts of management to stay ahead. Neither is easy to solve, but failing to do so risks a backlash, which will be bad for everyone. The image of big business is not too polished at the moment. Paying tax seems to be unavoidable for individuals, but optional for firms. Rules are unbending for citizens and up for negotiation when it comes to companies. And their heft is reflected in reams of political persuaders. The giants also deploy huge armies of lobbyists, bringing the same technique to Brussels, where 30,000 lobbyists now walk the corridors that they perfected in Washington, D.C. Something must be done, but bashing business is not the way forward. We argued for a more refined approach. Disenchantment with pro-business policies particularly liberal immigration rules, helps the outs to win the Brexit referendum in Britain and Donald Trump to seize the Republican nomination. Protectionism and nativism will only lower living standards. Reining in the giants requires the scalpel, not the soapbox. To find out how we propose to deal with the problem and to read our in-depth special report on today's corporate superstars, pick up a copy of this week's issue or head to our website. Moving on from our surgical prescriptions, a flip through to our America section leads us to a country with an agenda of defense. Canadians have long seen peacekeeping as a national virtue, but a recent effort to ramp up this global commitment has been met with resistance of its own, as an article explained. Before two fiascos in the mid-1990s in Somalia and Rwanda, Canada took part in almost all UN missions. But today, only 112 Canadian soldiers, police and military observers feature in a global total of 100,000 blue helmets. 
The liberal government, led by Justin Trudeau, is vowing to change this, but the proposals are already under fire. The Conservatives, who form the official opposition, say the Liberals are indulging in nostalgia. Traditional peacekeeping no longer exists. Others retort that peacekeeping was always perilous. More than 130 Canadians have died on UN missions. Others suspect that the friendlier intentions are just a facade. Dovish sorts fear a mere rebranding rather than a change from the more hawkish stance of the Conservatives, who when in power keenly backed NATO's combat mission in Afghanistan. Or they're merely a mission with an ulterior motive. Some sense a political move to help Canada win a seat on the UN Security Council in 2021. Whether Canada's peacekeeping proposals are tinged with politics or laced with nostalgia, over in our Europe section this week there was a clear example of the latter. As the Soviet bloc crumbled and capitalism flowed into new parts of Europe, Many products were driven out of shops by better-made ones from the West. Now, as an article explained, there is a resurgent taste for Soviet chic. Milk in plastic bags, canned luncheon meat and Petrolon aftershave, which, as readers of old Samizdat know, doubled as an aperitif among vodka-deprived prisoners, disappeared from the shelves. These and other enticing products are back in fashion. Polish hipsters are buying retro furniture in the pupil-dilating browns and oranges of the Jaruzelski era. Proletarian beer brands have been resurrected from Belgrade to Bratislava. Jaruzelski era. Try spelling that on deadline. Nostalgia for this era would make sense in Russia, of course. It is harder to understand among the Central and Eastern Europeans whom the Soviets ground under their boots. And in a twist that should set apparatchiks rolling in their graves, affection for the socialist era is mainly embodied in consumer products, some of them marketed by Western multinationals. Under capitalism, man exploits man. Under communism, the reverse is true. Here's something perhaps a little nostalgic. Do you feed a fever, starve a cold, or is it the other way around? Our science and technology podcast, Babbage, looked at the old adage through a scientific lens and explored some new evidence. Matt Kaplan, our science correspondent, explains to Jason Palmer, editor of our Espresso app, what the study found. The mice are certainly telling us when you've got a viral infection, glucose is essential. Don't deny glucose. And if you've got a bacterial infection, glucose is really quite harmful. Try to deny the glucose and provide fatty acids instead because that's what the cells need. So fruits for a viral infection, what's my fatty acid food of choice? I mean, I wouldn't go and start hogging on the ice cream when you've got a bacterial infection because that's just loaded with glucose. But seriously, this is an initial mouse study we still need to see work being done in humans and getting solid evidence before we can start making health recommendations to people based upon these results. Moving away from the sweet-tooth temptations, then we head over to business matters, which are continuing to beleaguer the South American country Venezuela. Once an attractive market for multinationals, it's rapidly descending into a nightmare. On our business and finance podcast, Money Talks, Charlotte Howard, our consumer goods correspondent, reported on how firms are adapting to the mess. This year, the IMF expects inflation to be northward of 700%. So if you imagine that type of pressure for a company, you're just going to get strange results. So for example, Kellogg, their cereal boxes are still being sold, but they have this weird kind of grayish color to Tony the Tiger or whatever's on the cereal box. And sort of the question is why? And there there was some official explanation, I think, that had to do with an environmental reason, but the answer is likely that they don't have ink. 
Wow. As Venezuela's pallid business environment leaves even basic products conspicuous in their absence, we move on to our finance section and India, where unexpected money has been rather conspicuous in its presence. As an article explained, staff at various banks have found some dodgy ways to meet targets set by higher-ups. In 2014, a bold financial inclusion plan known as Jan Dan, whose full name translates as Prime Minister's People's Wealth Scheme, was launched by the newly elected Prime Minister Narendra Modi. It promised basic bank accounts for all Indians. Lo and behold. Hundreds of millions of accounts were opened. But as with past schemes, many remained unused. Until the winds of change arrived recently, widely and suspiciously. The proportion of such zero-balance accounts began to fall from roughly half a year ago to under a quarter at the end of August. The apparent success was hailed all over the country. But it seems a large part of it was fictitious. A cheap way to massage the figures was to deposit as little as one rupee, that's 1.5 cents, into each account. And these deposits weren't coming from customers. Many bank managers used their own money. And then the penny dropped. Maybe the rupee dropped. Bank branch managers have personally been donating tiny amounts of money to their own customers. The one rupee trick, as it was dubbed by the Indian Express newspaper, which uncovered it this week, is a harebrained attempt by bankers to spare politicians' blushes. They had done it to show that the policy was working, but now they have egg on their face. Our final taste of this week's coverage comes from our letters section, where you have the opportunity to voice your opinions on the issues we write about. Richard Robinson from New Mexico wrote to us this week in dismay. It appears we may have missed a vital commemoration in our extensive coverage of a newly found planet. He writes, A leader and lengthy article on the exciting discovery of a new planet and all that entails for space travel. Which, in case you missed it, appears in our August 27th issue. But no reference to the 50th anniversary of the first episode of Star Trek. For shame. Mr. Robinson, we are sorry. I'm Kenneth Kukier, heading off to the final frontier now at Warp 9. That was our tasting menu. Do let us know your thoughts via email to radio at economist.com or on Twitter at Economist Radio. And don't forget to rate our podcast on iTunes. In London, this is The Economist. The Economist. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.